Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. I hope each and every one of you had a great holiday weekend and you're enjoying this time between Christmas and New Year's. Some of you, it's a great time to kind of refill the cups that maybe were a little bit drained towards the end of the year. For some of you, it's time to start to get ready for 2022. I just hope you guys are enjoying this final week of 2021. As we did last year at the end of the year, we counted down the top episodes, the most viewed, the most downloaded, the most listened to episodes of the MyFit podcast in 2020. And we're back to do the same thing and talk about the best episodes of 2021. If you've been following the show, you know we put out a new show every Tuesday. So that puts us at about 52 shows for the year. And today we're going to count down the top four shows of 2021 according to total downloads and listens by you guys. This year was super fun. I probably said the same thing last year when it comes to recording podcasts, and it just seems to get better and better. I feel like the value continues to grow. The guests continue to get bigger. And just the information that we ultimately get to learn as listeners uh, just become more and more valuable as the weeks go on. It's been really fun to get a chance to talk to some of the most famous and brilliant people that we have on this uh, earth. And uh, I just feel very fortunate enough to have this platform to chat and learn from those people. So without further ado, let's get to the countdown. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to preview the four episodes. I'm just going to go over some of the notes and biggest takeaways and maybe some stories behind the scenes from the episodes. And then after that, we're going to have some 10 to 15 minute clips on each of those four episodes. And if you want to dive in deeper and hear the whole thing, either for the first time, or if you want to go back for times two or three, I highly recommend you doing that. So that's how the flow of today is going to go. So without further ado, let's kick it off with number four. Number four on the best podcasts of 2021 is building true mental and physical and emotional toughness with Greg Everett. This was episode 117. And for a lot of people in the fitness space, they know Greg as the world-renowned Olympic lifting slash weightlifting coach. Uh, He's brought many people to high levels to the Olympics. um, And that's kind of what he's known for mostly. So when he comes out with a book about mental toughness, it's really cool to see that not only did it really take off, but it really shows what kind of person he is. He's very versatile. Uh, He has a lot of knowledge uh, that that goes just beyond the weight room. And I got the book tough and read it and thought it was phenomenal. I had to ask to have him on the show and talk about mental toughness because I think he sees it and describes it in a way that most people don't. He takes a very granular and deep approach to it. And he breaks things down in a way that's very simple and very um, um, tangible. People can really just kind of grab onto it uh, and it spells it out really nicely. So some of the Um, notes that I had down were the four C's of mental toughness. This is kind of what uh, culminates, what what the book is essentially about. And the first C is character. And character he talked about is who we are and what we value. We choose our character and actively support it through our daily decisions. The second C was capability. This was growing and having a broad array of abilities that allow us to continually increase self-reliance. The third C, which I think most of us think right away, is capacity. And that's our ability to not simply survive adversity, but to use it to our advantage. And then the fourth C was commitment, what we are willing to do in order to develop and enforce our character. A couple of the quotes that I had written down that I thought was really cool as I kind of look back and reflect on this episode was, uh, one was developing new abilities doesn't simply add new abilities to the list it improves our ability to develop new skills. Greg talks a lot about 
how much we learn through the process of learning a new skill. So if we learn how to snatch, for instance, it's not just being able to snatch. It's that process of being able to be a beginner, go through steps, drill work, and ultimately take the steps needed to get to the goal. Another quote that I liked was, uh, being tough means always preparing with the expectation and certainty that adversity will find us eventually. I think this is a really... um, mindful approach to thinking and and ultimately going through life is that, you know what, we're going to hit adversity at one point or another, and we'd be foolish to think that we're going to go through life without hitting adversity. So knowing that it's going to come will set you apart from the rest. So again, putting everything together, the four C's in, uh, in Greg Everett's mental toughness were character, capability, capacity, and commitment. Episode number 117 with Greg Everett is number four on the list of top four most downloaded shows of 2021. Moving on to number three, the number three downloaded podcast of 2021 is one of my favorites, Negotiation Mastery with Chris Voss, episode 129. This is a show I did with my dad, Craig, who is a motivational speaker and an author himself. Um, and a funny story, I've told this a couple of times, not sure if I told it on air, but when I uh, got a hold of Chris's assistant and ended up um, uh, finally scheduling a podcast episode with him, I ended up calling my dad and I didn't know that he was a big Chris Voss fan and has been since the book came out in 2015. So I called him and casually said, Hey dad, have you heard of a guy named Chris Voss? I'm having him on my podcast. And I remember he almost dropped the phone because he was so excited to have the opportunity to hear me talk to Chris Voss. And he was going on and on about how he's such a big fan. He couldn't believe, he thought I was joking. He thought it was uh, uh, April Fool's joke that I was going to have Chris Voss on my podcast. And so after hearing that, I couldn't help uh, but have him be a co-host with me on the show. So this was a very uh, memorable podcast episode to share that platform with him. And then and we actually got a chance. We got, we got to know Chris really well on the show. And then later uh, during the summer, we got a chance to fly out my dad, my me, my dad, and my uncle got to fly out to Vegas and have dinner with Chris and talk about the podcast, talk about the book and just get to know him a little bit more on an intimate level. Super fun uh, podcast episode and just super fun relationship that we've started to cultivate in 2021. And I would say out of all the people that I've interviewed in 2021, Chris Voss has had the biggest influence on me. I feel like ever since hearing um, him on the show, getting to know him and his son, uh, who has been on the show as well, I've just been entrenched with Never Split the Difference, uh, the book, The Black Swan Method. I'm constantly listening to his stuff, his keynotes and everything that he puts out on YouTube. Uh, so he was probably had the biggest influence on me in 2021. And if you guys uh, enjoy business, negotiating, and everything that goes into that, I think you'll really enjoy this podcast episode number 129. Couple of things we got into were what are the three components of communication? We know that words and tonality and body language are all pieces of communication, but how does Chris break those down and which one is more important than the other? After that, we talked about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Chris is really big on tactical empathy when it comes to um, success in a negotiation situation. So I wanted to understand what's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Then we talked about using tactical empathy. After that, we talked about labeling emotions and how that can be so crucial. It's one of his go-to methods in having a successful negotiation. Then we closed down by talking about why no is better than yes. This is something that I've really been playing with uh, pretty much every single opportunity that I can. We all know that when we hear a town marketer call, the first thing they want to say is, hey, um, is now a good time to talk? They want to. He- they want you to say yes, and that's kind of been the teaching for decades: is trying to get to your um, consumer or, or potential customer to say yes. And Chris really flips that completely on his head. He really wants to just get the person to say no. And he talks more about why that is and why our brain is wired to say no, why it feels good to say no. So instead of saying something like, hey, is now a good time to talk? Instead, it's something you just flip it and say, hey, is now a bad time to talk? Or are you opposed to talking? 
and some of the um, reactions you get from people uh, are quite, uh, it's fun. It's a fun game to play. And I have a smirk on my face because I, I tend to do this every single day with the people around me. So never split the difference. Phenomenal book. I can't say enough about Chris Voss and the Black Swan Method. Also his son, Brandon, who is on the show. Uh, both of those guys are tremendous. Uh, this is, That was a really fun podcast that I got to do with my dad. And it doesn't surprise me that it came in as number three. So number three on the list, Negotiation Mastery with Chris Voss, episode 129. Number two on the list of 2021 most downloaded episodes is Basketball Strong with Coach Mike G, episode 133. Mike G is a G. He really is. He's an incredible uh, coach. He's he's just doing incredible things in the space of strength and conditioning. Not to mention, he works with some of the most prolific NBA players, including uh, Dwight Howard, Andrew Holiday, and several others. I was really excited to have him on the show today, not just for um, you know who he works with and understanding um, working from a being a famous basketball trainer, but I wanted to understand more about why is it different when you train NBA players versus NFL players? And, and, and why does uh, NBA players, they don't like to be in the weight room and, and do really heavy sets. And how can we make the weight room more conducive for somebody who is six, 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 eight, maybe even six, 10. We know that it's a very uncomfortable spot to get them into doing things like full depth squats and RDLs and deadlifts. So how can we shape the weight room to be a little more conducive for them? So we talked about things like unilateral versus bilateral training. We talked about mobility for athletes and how we can make them more mobile and not so much of a traditional sense of um, just static stretching. Then the meat of the conversation that I really enjoyed was talking about what does it mean to be basketball strong? And again, this is what I'm talking about where basketball strong is different from football strong. And how do you train that in a weight room that's full of weights? Mike G does a great job at kind of stepping outside the box and talking about how to be strong through locomotion and how that transfers over into the game of basketball. There's a ton in there. And if you guys are coaches of uh, basketball athletes, even lacrosse players, some of this stuff has really good transferability. And then we talked about warm-up protocols. I thought this was really cool. Just cool ways to get uh, not only your athletes warm, but we talked about getting your athletes engaged. It's one thing to have your athlete come in and bike for five minutes and then go through a lousy warm-up. It's a totally different thing to have them come in and play a game or have them uh, work on some hand-eye coordination stuff, something to kind of get their brain firing. And it also just brings up overall enjoyment from the athlete, uh, which makes the session a lot more fun. So the number two most downloaded episode of 2021 is Basketball Strong with Mike G, and that's episode 133. That was a fun one. And the number one episode of 2021, drumroll please is Coaching World Champions with Shane Orr, episode 114. Uh, This doesn't come as a huge surprise. This was one of my biggest guests that I've ever had on. Shane has coached, obviously, his wife, Tia Claire Toomey, to multiple CrossFit championships, and Matt Frazier, who is the most winning um, male CrossFit competitor that we've seen today. So having him on the show... um, Yes, I was nervous beforehand. People ask me that all the time. And I was very excited, though. I was very excited to pick uh, Shane's brain as a coach myself. I think we have a lot in common. I really wanted to get into the nuances of coaching. And more importantly, I wanted to hear about how does he create a winning environment? And in preparation for the show, um, you guys probably remember Brett Ledbetter on the show who owns What Drives Winning. And one of his books he recently came out with was What Drives Winning Environments. So I read that book to try to get a leg up on what creates a winning environment and then use that information when I talk to Shane. And there's three main ideas that create a winning environment, according to Brett Ledbetter. And that was defining, managing, and modeling expectations. This has been something that I've repeated multiple times on uh, several diff- several of my podcasts because I think it's really stuck with me uh, since talking to Brett. And I wanted to share that with Shane and hear how does Shane define, manage, and model the expectations when you have uh, world champions in front of you and both on the female side and the men's side? How does that look on a day-to-day environment? And how can you make the gym, how can you make the space um, 
uh, a, a winning space with without a, a better word there because something that they're doing is working. He's had uh, just so much success with every athlete that he's worked with. And I think a lot of that comes back to the environment. It's one thing to go out and compete at the CrossFit Games for four to five days on the weekend, but 96%, 97, 98% of your year is spent in the gym. So that space needs to be special. It needs to be set up for success. After that, after talking about the environment, we talked about some of the coaching cues and how he likes to highlight the positives versus highlighting the negatives. Sometimes coaches, we get caught up in cueing athletes or talking about, oh, you did this wrong, or you could have done this better, where Shane kind of flips that and he likes to really address the positive things that you did well. And I think that's one of the biggest secrets to his success. And then we also talked about creating trust with high-level athletes. He's working with people that their lives depend, their paychecks depend on how well they do on the floor. So he has to create trust and ultimately refine his communication with his athletes. And we talk about how important that communication is before the season. And that kind of comes back to also defining um defining, managing, and modeling, specifically defining what are, our, what are our goals for this year? What are we trying to get out of? What do you want to get out of this year as an athlete? But also as a coach, what I want to get out of you this year and having that dialogue is super important. So super fun episode. No surprise that that's number one. Uh, really enjoyed talking to uh, the most winning CrossFit coach in history, really. So that does it. The top four most listened to MyFit podcast episodes of 2021. Number four, building true mental, physical, and emotional toughness with Greg Efferett, episode 117. Number three, Negotiation Mastery with Chris Voss, episode 129. Episode two, or number two, Basketball Strong with Coach Mike G, episode 133. And then number one, Coaching World Champions with Shane Orr, episode 114. Super fun to look back on the podcast. It's cool to see how some of them have to do with training. Some of them have to do with mindset, negotiation. It really is a a triage of different uh, styles and different learning styles. And it just goes to show that you guys as listeners aren't focused in on just the X's and O's of training. You're also uh, open to just becoming a better person and becoming a better person involves things like mental toughness, involves things like uh, better communication and involves things like being able to um, bend environments for the people around you to make it more conducive and ultimately successful. So really cool to see the top four episodes come out. I am glad you guys enjoy them along with hopefully all other 50 episodes of the year. I'm excited for next year. We're going to have a lot of uh, big time names on the show, a lot of authors, uh, just a lot of cool things coming our way in 2022. Uh, I hope for more listeners. I hope for more feedback. Uh, and ultimately, I just hope for more value for you guys as we continue to grow this show, uh, as we continue to bring in more people. I want to continue to give you guys more value as well. So thank you all, as I say every week, for the continued support. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been, we're at what, hundred and almost 150 episodes, so about three years of doing this. I just really appreciate you all sticking around, supporting the show, sharing it on your Instagram. Uh, it's just been really fun. And I can't believe that it's been three years already. Super fun. And I look forward to the next three years. Now we're going to transition and we're going to have about 10 to 15 minute uh, clips of each of the four episodes. If you guys want to tune in, I highly suggest checking that out. And then if you uh, want to hear more of those episodes, make sure to dial it back to episode either 117, 129, 133, or 114 to hear more from Greg Everett, Chris Voss, Coach Mike G, or Shane Orr. Thank you all for the continued support. We'll see you at the top of the year 2022 with a new episode. Take care, guys. Thank you. The big quote in, in Stoicism at its basis is being able to control what you can control and then let go of the rest. That's kind of the, the main idea. But I, I think you take it a step further, Greg, and talk about, yeah, but the things that you can control, let's really control those and let's 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 be let's not be passive. Let's take responsibility. I think we could both agree that there is an idea of, you know, control what you can and that that can help kind of settle your mindset and realize kind of, you know, what are, what is in my control? What can I do about this situation? But what you can can do, you know, grab that by the whole and go with it yeah well and i think too to take it further is that i think when people you know uh subscribe to that stoic philosophy you know at its core i think it's easy to start writing off too many things as mm. beyond your control and that's the danger in that like well i'm not going to worry about it i can't control it but are you sure you can't control it 
you may not be able to control it as a whole, but you very likely can influence aspects of it. And you most certainly can influence, um, you know, enough pieces of it to change the way it impacts you. Um, and, and I don't just mean by your reaction. So it's, it's, you know, one of the best ways I think to look at things is that here's this situation. How can I define this as a problem that is able to be solved? Right. So it's, and I, you know, I hate to, to reduce life to like mathematics and engineering sort of perspective because it's not, you know, that simple in most cases, but very often it, it can be, you know, uh, put into that sort of context and in that sort of structure. So you say, you know, this is what's happening. What pieces of this can I influence? What pieces of this can I change? What pieces of, of this can I influence? Um, and how can I see this as an, you know, an overall problem or a series of problems or collection of problems? And how do I individually resolve those problems to my satisfaction or in a way that it's going to benefit me ultimately? You know, it might not be immediate, it might be long-term. Um, but, you know, the more active your mind is in, in, in seeking that way of defining these things as problems that are solvable, the more you recognize like, hey, th this is not just this huge, like overwhelming problem that I have to just sit back and accept stoically, right? It's, it's this is my life. And as, as, as my life, you know, I am a part of that, which means that I need to take an active role in any way possible. And part of that active role is actively looking for the ways you can take an active role. Very cool. Awesome, Greg. Let's get into the book. So like I said, guys, the book, uh, Tough, uh, Building True Mental, Physical, and Emotional Toughness for Success and Fulfillment. Uh, Greg does a fantastic job of laying out, you do such a great job laying out the four C's and and giving examples of it. It's just so beautifully written. And what I'd like to do for the next 40 minutes that we have together is kind of break those down a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, and talk about each one. We can bring some examples up and kind of put it all together in a sense of what are the four C's of toughness? How did you get um, the ideas on those? Uh, so let's start, start with sure. character first. Uh, I think it makes sense that you put that one first. I think it is the foundation. Let's talk a little bit yeah. about why that came first and, and what is it? And then what isn't it, isn't it as well? Yeah, the character piece was huge. And, and I want to give credit to uh, my friend, Varg Freeborn, who wrote the book, Violence of Mind, which is an incredible book. And like mine named tough, it's, it's not at all what you would expect with that title. Um, but that's a must read for people. But I, I had a conversation with him in, in a Salt Lake city Chili's over <laughs> far too many beers after a seminar. And this was like when this, the idea for this book, I was, I was really first starting to starting to actively develop it. And I had this piece of it in my head and I couldn't quite articulate. Uh, I couldn't articulate it well enough to satisfy myself. And that conversation with him like really helped that final tumbler kind of drop into place. And I recognized, okay, this is exactly what I was trying to get. You know, he, he's a, he's a sharp guy and, and just kind of some questions he asked me, you know, helped me kind of put it together. So the character piece, like you said, is absolutely foundational to the rest of it. Uh, without that piece, the rest of it is not toughness at all. It, it is. If we took that character piece out, you, you had those other three and you would get essentially what um, too many people believe is toughness. Mm. Um, and of course I, I, I kind of beat up on that a little bit in the book and explaining why that is such a problem, but the character thing includes your identity, right? Is, is who are you? Um, and then related to that equally critically is, are you secure in that identity? And so this is, this is basic stuff. Like what are, what are your values? What is most important and meaningful and significant to you in life? Because that determines all of your decisions, whether or not you're conscious, you know, consciously familiar with those things, you know, we don't make decisions and act and speak and behave in ways that are contrary to who we are. We just may not know who we are. So people say, oh, you know, that was so out of character for him. No, it wasn't. You're just not totally familiar with his character. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, 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 that is, I don't know if I could go find a, a panel of psychologists who would agree with me on that, but I'm not going to try. That is, <laughs> I'm, I'm very confident in that, uh, that understanding of it. But in any case, so we, we have to really dig down and discover who we are uh, truly. And then beyond that though, we have to really, again, take an active role in determining who we are. 
um, you know, and, and throughout our lives, you know, we, we have this constant argument. It's like, well, is character built or revealed? Yes, both, right? You, you know, there's never a moment in your life when you have no identity, uh, except maybe the moment you're born, right? There, there's a brief moment when you, you are nothing. You're just this, like, uh, you know, shapeless blob that now your parents have influenced into something hopefully better. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way. But <laughs> Uh, so, so, you know, at any time you, you have an existing identity, you have a character that can be revealed through your experiences, but you also simultaneously have the, the wherewithal and the ability to influence who you are. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I, I don't like that idea of like, oh, well, you know, sports don't build character, they just reveal character. Okay, well, now your character has been revealed. What are you going to do about it? Is that okay? Are you okay with that identity? Is that who you want to be? Because if not, you should do something about it. Uh, and so I, I do believe that it is, is 100% within our control to determine who we are in that way. Um, and that is why, uh, you know, experience, varied experience, difficult experience is so critical because that is what reveals our character at that time and gives us the opportunity to change who we are, um, in, you know, in ways that benefit us and honestly the world at large long term. And the security side of it is, is really, really important because this is a, a, a lack of security in our identities is the source of so many of the things we see these days that drive us nuts and create so many problems. You know, this is being insecure in who we are is, is the reason that we, you know, constantly are seeking validation from other people, you know, random strangers on social media, like, please like me, tell me I'm pretty and strong and fast and rich and whatever. Um, or, you know, just silly, meaningless competition, the classic one-upmanship that we see with men from age, I don't know, 11 to 70. Um, that's about the rate at which we tend to mature. But, uh, you know, all these things that really prevent us from experiencing life in the most meaningful way possible and getting the most out of it and actually enjoying it, you know, instead of just like desperately clamoring for attention and again, validation and, and this being reassured that we are important and significant in and valuable. And rather than saying, no, this is who I am. This is what's important to me. Now, this is what I'm going to do to pursue the things that are meaningful to me and experience life in a way that is uh, enjoy, enjoyable and meaningful. And, you know, whether that means, you know, adventure seeking or, you know, uh, you know, being around family, building a family, building a business that helps people, whatever the case is, um, when we know that and we're secure in it, all that other stuff just kind of falls away and we're able to actually just live our lives. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was quite a monologue. It was awesome. You know, three, the three main parts of negotiation are 7% is your words, 38% is tonality, and 55% is body language. I love, I think you're the perfect person to talk to about this. If we were just to break those three down, I'm curious on what are some of the things that you've learned and you try to teach when it comes to the three parts of communication, knowing that sometimes you're on the phone, so you don't get to do the body language per se, but I'm sure it plays a role. So Chris, if we could start with your words, how do words play such a pivotal role in uh, hostage negotiation situations? Yeah, that's a great question. and. Um, what you really want to look for, because sometimes people want to argue over those percentages, 738 plus 55 equals 100. And you get some people bent out of shape. Like, you know, when I taught at Harvard, uh, I taught, I was on a teaching staff at Harvard Law School. I realized that's a sign of the apocalypse. A regular guy like me from Southeast Iowa <laughs> taught at Harvard at the law school. But, we, you know, we had one of the instructors there go like, you know, I just don't think tone of voice is that important. It's just not that important. The words are so much more important than a tone of voice. And we'd all be like, Jesus, are you listening to yourself? <laughs> Clearly, you're upset about this. <laughs> but the real issue is when they're out of line. You know, when do the tone and the body language and the words, when are they out of line? Like when somebody says, I, you know, I don't care at all. Well, whatever your percentages are, your tone and your words are out of line. Or if I say, wow, that was an insightful question. Or if I say, wow, that was an insightful question. You know, the tone and the words are out of line. So what do you, what do, you do with that um, in, a, in an interaction? Focus on the tone. 
focus on the body language if you got it if you're if you're on zoom uh disadvantage of zoom you got less body language advantage of zoom people's body language is much more unguarded especially if you got a group zoom call like the the person who is not the primary spokesperson you know, you will think that they are an epileptic the way that they react to some things that their team says. So the unguarded body language in Zoom is a strategic advantage for people that are looking for it. But again, your original question, what do I do? Do I focus on the words? Do I focus on the tone? Your tone is your starting place. You know, and there's a difference between people say yes or people that say yes well what's that tone tell you you can say look i heard you say yes but you sound like there's something else that's on your mind or i know a guy that got fired from a company because as a senior executive he was talking to the company's largest investor biggest holder of stock and he was trying to signal to the, 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 this important person that there was a problem. And it, the investor said, listen, this is what I want to have done. This is, I think, is uh, how we're going to handle this. And a senior executive said, okay. And he's really trying to signal hesitancy. But he's scared because this person is so important. So the guy on the other side of the table, he's focusing on words. You said, okay, we've agreed. Mm -hmm. and, he, and in focusing on the words, he moved forward that the senior executive agreed. When he found out later there was no agreement, the senior executive got fired. Mm. And I think that in business negotiations and customer-client interactions, that might be one of the biggest uh, miscommunications. When somebody says yes, mm. and you're looking for the word yes, and you go like, victory, I have a deal. And you run off with what the other person actually said was, e yes. So when you're worried about other 738.55, what you should focus on, focus when the words and the tone of voice are out of line. And then gently just make an innocent, curious observation about the way they said it so that they don't feel backed into a corner. Chris, you're, you're a master at tonality. And as a speaker, that's what I tune into. And I love your quote that tonality comes from mastery and tonality is where expertise comes from. And just listening to you, you have this memor mesmerizing, kind of captivating cadence and tone. Is that something that you were taught? I know you said earlier, these things can be learned. Is, is that taught or was it something that was kind of natural? It just, you have the capacity to just bring people's anxiety down. I, I just, you can sense it right away. Is that something that, or, or how do the rest of us, I guess, develop our, our tonality so that it is attractive to others? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I stumbled over by accident, really. I mean, I think when I way back when in the, you know, in, in the dark ages, when I volunteered uh, for the suicide hotline, like my first call, I don't know why, but I was uncertain enough of what to do that I naturally use a tone of voice, which, you know, we now refer to in, in, in the Black Swan Method as, as a late night FM DJ. Mm. And I got off the first call and, and the people that were supervising me were like, wow, your tone of voice is great. That was fantastic. And I remember thinking like, wow, I, 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 I got I to gotta do it again because I have no idea what happened. And so then I began, I learned there that the impact of the tone of voice was really important. And then I just, I thought, wow, this is a superpower. Like I could, I can begin to impact. And so then I just started looking for it and I studied it and I've had fun with it. Like, for example, Chris Rock. Yeah. Like if you were to read Chris Rock's routine in yeah. a monotone, yes. monotone voice, you, he wouldn't be funny at all. Right. And it's delivery or um, uh, another guy, another comedian. I think his last name is black. I can't, I, 
you know, my son is a big fan of his. But, um, you know, lies, a lot of comedians, it's, it's total delivery. Louis Black, Louis Black is hysterical mm-hmm. just based on his delivery. And so then I started noticing that. And then, like, I got, I got, sh- I got a shortest attention span. So I figure in projection bias, when I started talking to groups, when I was teaching for the FBI, I figured like these dudes, their attention span, if if it's twice as long as mine, it's still short. I'm going to have to do everything I can to keep people's attention, which is varying my tone of voice. Mm -hmm. And everybody's got a lot of thoughts in their head. So yeah, I, I, I work at it a lot. I studied a lot. I, I pay attention to the people who keep my attention. And then I'm like, how did, how did they do that? What, what did they do? If you've got information to communicate and you want it to land, you've got to study. What would you say is one thing that, you know, most of the population, the trainer population, they don't get a chance to work with NBA players. What's something that most people don't know about training NBA players? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing, but what's something that most people really don't understand? Uh, Number one, I'll give you a bad thing. They don't necessarily uh, are drawn infinity, drawn, drawn affinity to the weight room. They don't necessarily draw an affinity to, to, they don't share the passion of training. They share the passion of playing and they want to go out there and be on the court and do all the, the, the skill work and whatnot. But as far as what we do, it's, it's a, it's a conversation that takes a little bit of human psychology (laughs) and, and, and persuasion. And you have to figure out creative ways. First of all, communication is number one. I feel like in our industry period, um, athletes, what do they say? Athletes don't care what you know until they know that they, that you care. Mm-hmm. So you have to exemplify true and pure passion for them as humans. Right. I think that's very important. And then number two, figuring out co- uh, creative ways to give them reasons of why this is important. You know, lifting is important. Training is, is important. Doing all the warm up and activation stuff is important. And, and it doesn't, you can't come to a 22 year old, you know, rookie or 21 and give them throw, throw up on them with all this scientific jargon. You have to meet them where they're at communication wise so that they understand and can consume the information that you're trying to feed them. So that's number one. It's, it's going to take um, an understanding that this is potentially a situation that is an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. which is okay. I mean, uh, we're up for the challenge and, 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 and it's not just about barbells and dumbbells and sets and reps. It's also the, the human psychology, social aspect of it that really makes the art of coaching the art as what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I think um, a lot of people are starting to talk about this more and more is, is the, the crazy and odd lever links. So when when we look at training and we look at textbooks that are credible and we study them to pass exams and, and become certified they're not considering long femurs long legs short torsos uh stiff ankles and stiff big toes they're considering average human beings so going really deep into the toolbox and figuring out how to load long levered athletes safely and effectively is something that's also a challenge, but a fun challenge to figure out. And then also being creative on how to, you know, apply some type of specific environment in the weight room, which makes sense to the demands of the sport that they're playing in. So, you know, basketball is very start, stop, intermittent, D cell, A cell, D cell, A cell on single legs, mainly. How do we create similar uh, movement demands and force demands to emulate those types of ideas and concepts so that it makes sense and it transfers? Now you have a platform of communication to discuss with a 21-year-old rookie. Look, this is why this exercise makes sense because that Euro step that you just did, there's a lot of forces that you got to be able to accept. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And I think that that's a, that's a, a big component of coaching that we all must really try to focus on. Mm-hmm. 
in my experience, just being around hoopers and, and training guys. And so my best friends played in college, college hoops. Uh, the, there's kind of two things that made them not want to get in the weight room. And I think the first one was that they didn't want to throw off their shot. I think it's like this old school mentality of, well, if I lift at my upper body, then my, my shot's going to get stiff. I'm going to get tight. So I definitely don't want to do upper body. And then the other part was, you know, I just feel uncomfortable, right? My body, I'm six, eight. I'm not really meant to do these full depth squats. The bench press seems like I got these long arms, right? So you talk about these levers and things like that. I think, you know, let's maybe attack one, then the other. So people talk about, man, it's going to throw off my shot. Tell me about how do you debunk that myth if a, if a, if a, a player says that to you? Yeah, I think that it's no different. <laughs> you can go about it two, two ways. You can say, well, you know, drinking alcohol <laughs> will throw off your shot too. I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't, but I'm just saying. So you can kind of meet them like in their world, you know, and not saying that everyone drinks alcohol, but you know, it's, it's a lifestyle thing. And when you're, going from NBA city, NBA city, that, that is something that's around. Right. Um, or you could go into the scientific realm of like motor control and motor learning and always revert back to like, if you, there is some validity to, 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 all right, if I bench press and my chest is sore, I physically have some sort of pain response or stress response that makes me more tight or makes me um, a little less apprehensive, a little more apprehensive to maybe get full extension or whatever it is that is kind of lacking when they shoot the ball. And then a lot of shooting is psychological, right? So like, as soon as I have a bad day, I'm trying to find the reason why, Oh, I, I did upper body yesterday. Boom. It's because Mike, I can't, I, I can't do upper body anymore. Look at my shooting. It's terrible. But then, you know, you could, there, there's so many layers of that onion to, to, to unpeel is like, there's so many factors to why people have bad shooting nights. Right. So is it the lifting? Is it the diet? Is it the lack of sleep that you had? Is it, you know, is it just a bad night? Like everybody has um, bad nights, but you know, one of the things that I always talk about with the athletes is every day that you wake up, you are a different human being mm-hmm. biologically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and all this, plays into your ability to maximize performance and what determines that upmake is your nutrition, your sleep, um, the type of stress that you're taking on social, physical, whatever it is, that's going to create who you are each day that you wake up. So I think, I think beyond going down the rabbit hole, it's really hard. I guess what I'm trying to say, it's really hard to pinpoint one specific factor of why somebody's jump shot is is suffering or shot is suffering and again you meet people where they're at if that is a statement there's validity to them in their mind so you have to find a way to traverse that conversation and say okay okay bench press we'll cut it out you didn't like the way you felt but what about maybe some shoulder pressing or what how can i load the upper body in a way that still continues to induce the stress responses that we're looking for, but still make him feel like, or her feel like, yeah, nah, I'm not doing bench press no more. That messed my shot up. You see what I'm saying? So totally. there's, there is a, there's a, there's a, not a manipulation as a terrible word to say, but you got to kind of walk that path with them and, and figure out ways to troubleshoot it so that it still makes sense to both parties. Right. And I think that anytime an athlete tells you that something ain't working well for him, you have to listen to him. It's a great answer, man. The second part was just being uncomfortable. So we talk about like, you know, we have a guy at our gym who's 6'11 and just watching him do back squats is just, it's a lot different than my 5'10 self doing back squats. It's just a different range. They're working a lot harder. You can tell they're uncomfortable. So Mike, is something is something that you do, something, something that I do is I'll just shorten the range of motion on things. So instead of deadlifting from the floor, we'll put some plates underneath them and we'll kind of cut things down a little bit. Talk to me about your process when you have an, I mean, all NBA players are tall, but let's say an abnormally tall NBA player and you still want to try to hit some of these classic lifts, if you will, is shortening the range of motion something you like to do how can you get them to feel more comfortable it's a great uh you, you basically you know spoke for what i'm about to say is is you, you manipulate the environment right so you make the environment around them fit their movement capabilities and what they physically possess and uh you know 
one size does not fit all as as we know you know we can evolve our mindset and not be stuck into what it should be you know ass to grass back squat or what have you front squat and and create an environment that gives the athlete success i think one of the main things that i i feel strongly about that you touched on was nba or basketball players don't enjoy lifting because it feels very difficult and uncomfortable and there and that's so true because everything is way more effortful or has way more effort than us i'm five eight like it's easy to back squat it's easy to front squat right but now these guys a are abnormally long and have different size levers that anyone does the world is not built for them right cars chairs everything it's not built for them so they're consistently having to manipulate and maneuver themselves to make themselves fit small world and in the weight room is no different so how do we be smart and creative to make the weight room fit them mm -hmm. uh, boxes on underneath plates um shortening the range of motion uh maybe maybe if you're looking for like end range depth strength uh you you go unilateral and you split the squat or split the stance and you just load one side at a time but there are different ways to create an environment for success that a gets the goal done in terms of what we want you know stress response tissue 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 and b still train them hard and 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 have them feel like they're training hard but it doesn't feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. right make that environment fit them so that it feels good but feels like they're still training hard and uh, i think that's the difference we have to bring our egos down not train everyone the same assess the person in front of uh, in front of you or the people in front of you and make the environment fit them versus trying to make them fit your mindset cool something that i really want to get into with you mike is talking about the idea of basketball strong versus weight room strong and this is something that you and paul <clears throat> talked about a lot and it's this idea of you know you look at a basket uh the the nba players nowadays they're not super big and bulky they're but they're strong right they're very lean but they're strong in a basketball sense so if you could like break that down a little bit what to you what does it mean to be basketball on the floor strong versus weight room strong how's that different from perhaps other sports yeah. and and why is it so um important for basketball players to be basketball strong what does all that look like let's just try to unpeel a little bit and maybe we'll go down some rabbit holes okay so i think that you know when we when we really dissect the weight room hopefully we're transitioning and evolving more into three-dimensional loading shifting weight through gravity um three planes of motion different depths different stances different directions okay because that's life right we want to be able to accept load and absorb and apply load in different directions angles depths what have you but if you look at a the weight room in a traditional sense, if we're mostly linear and up and down, you know, you can, it, it, it definitely has its place. You, at the end of the day, you need to load tissue for it to have a response. And I'm really, really big on tissue tolerance in the Achilles and the quadriceps, uh, mainly to pre prevent that tendinosis pathology. So we'll load the hell out of you know, a single leg split squat and try to hold that thing for 25 seconds with 300 pounds on your back. You know, that's no, no question. We are, we are putting big loads on our bodies and our systems. However, when you talk about basketball strength, I think a lot of it has to do with the ability to be strong in locomotion. So for instance, if I'm playing defense and athletes or a ball handler is trying to go by me, you know, go to the basket and dunk. If I have the ability to a read and perceive movement, operate the right strategy, the movement strategy and cut off said ball handler, I need to be able to possess a certain amount of basketball strength to absorb force, hold my ground and still be able to create the next movement, which is a contestant contestant, a jump shot or another cut or whatever it is. So, do, is that type of strength truly developed in a linear heavy back squat um in a linear bench press or shoulder press in a linear rdo you know all these really necessary movements for training period 
But that type of strength, I don't believe, in my opinion, is going to be um, developed doing those movements. So um, we're really, I'm really big on shifting weight and stepping in lateral planes of motion. So for instance, I'll have a plate or a med ball or a rubber tube called a Viper and we'll step and reach so that when we're shifting that weight through the field of gravity, all the tissue that's responsible for, for you know, creating that movement is getting strong in a sense also with locomotion. So I think that that's how you develop that movement basketball strength that's really going to translate to absorbing force during locomotion. In the same token, um, basketball, uh, excuse me, football players, rugby, and any other sport that, where you have to impose your physical will on another human being, literally like trying to move them or tackle them or whatever, um, that has a lot more application as it relates to linear lifting because it's more in this plane of motion. So when you think about basketball, I'm not too sure if that happens as much in terms of trying to impose your physical will on another human being, but it does have its place. For instance, guarding the post, you got to be able to ward off defenders mm -hmm. or award off defenders and or ward off the, the man posting. Um, and I think that that also has its place in, in, from, the, from the standpoint of that linear lifting idea. But creating, use, utilizing tools like shifting weight or cable systems, um, elastic bands, even other athletes to load untraditionally in different depths, different directions, you know, like Paloff press type stuff, but like with, with, with high amounts of force. I think is, 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 a, is an idea that's expanding. Um, people are definitely understanding that that does have its place in training. Um, I think that a lot of times people are fighting time. So if you only have a certain amount of time, you know that you need to objectify improvement. You can't objectify basketball strength, right. but you can objectify your squat, your, bent, your, your vertical jump and stuff like that. So I get it. There, there's a, there's a, gift and, you know, a gift and a curse with both. But um, if you have the ability to just train people and, 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 and do what you feel is best, definitely involve the three-dimensional loading stuff because that definitely has its application in, in all the sport. Let's just lay the foundation because I do want to ask a lot of questions about coaching. So can you talk a little bit about what is proven? Uh, what are you guys doing? What's, what's new this year compared to years past? And then we can kind of dive in a little deeper. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so yeah, proven, proven is something that T and I have worked, worked a lot on over the years. Um, essentially what we're trying to do was fast track everyone's learning. So T and I certainly started like everybody else, fell in love with the sport, learned a lot, learned what not to do, learned what to do. And I guess essentially what we're trying to do is exactly what I said, fast track everybody to understand, Hey, this is what helped us get to where we are today. And, um, and we want to provide that platform for everybody else, make it accessible or make it global to everybody to have the same resources as that we've implemented and the same, uh, the same access as to what T is doing as well. But I want to take it back 12 months ago when, when Tia and Matt were working together. My whole objective was to solely work with Tia and Fraser. And I wanted just to work on that. Like when I never had ambitions. Oh, I won't say ambitions. That's not true. I never, I didn't want to, I wanted to just solely focus on them. My goal was to, as long as Fraser was in the picture and I wanted to make him know that he was number one. And, and that's my commitment to him as well. Like I just wanted to work solely on that. So when it came about that he was retiring and I'm very happy for him as well, is that uh, I then branched out and started to try to, to grow the team essentially. And that's where we find ourselves here in Nashville now. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the Nashville stuff, let's dial it back to, and talk about Frazier for a second. So he retires uh, and, and you're the one that's working with him day in and day out, Shane. What are some of the things that you're going to remember about working with him and being in the gym with him from day to day? What were some of the things that you'll take away from years uh, to come? You know, that's a good question. You know, like I, I like that a lot because Obviously, people start thinking of the pointy end when they start thinking of the competition. They start thinking of the podium and they think about all that stuff. And I think that's, I think that's a very, a, 
a great question for a coach particularly. My, my, some of the big learnings or some of the things that I won't forget is that certainly the process. When, when we're in the training, when we're training for the CrossFit Games or even in the, even the off-season, to have that commitment from an individual so far out from the competition floor, they're, they're special moments for me. And for me, the telltales or the memories I think about, I always think about the concept to rower, the rower and doing those boring late night intervals. And they're just, and they're just going at it, holding onto the paces, sweating, and they're just, they're killing themselves just to hold the paces. When I see moments like that, they're the moments that give me goosebumps. Even to this day, I, I know the work they put in. And I, I always pinch myself or I always think to myself like, this is the moment that I know you're going to stand right on top of that podium. Mm. And I, I say that to Tia and I say that to the guys where like, it's what we do right now that's going to make us better or make you so much prepared or you're going to stand right where you need to when it comes to Sunday at the CrossFit Games. But some of the, some of the honestly, some of the, some of the highlights that I think about or not highlights, but what resonates or what I think about when that question was asked, I think about Matt's garage and I think about the space that he had and made work for him many, many years. Like it's not, it's just a two part, uh, two car bay garage. He converted that into a gym mm -hmm. and the, how he makes that work, how he can, <laughs> he places his box here. His roller has to precisely sit there <laughs> in order for it to work. And, you know, his squat, uh, his, his squat bay. And then when we start bringing out the bike and we have the, we have the skier, everything's in place there. Honestly, I, I commend him and, and just seeing him work so hard towards his craft and, and the professionalism. He dedicates his whole year. Mm. He puts a lot of things on hold in order for him to be that much more prepared. And they're the things or they're the expectations now that I, that I want everyone to uphold or to, to chase, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And I'm sure along the way, Shane, you taught him a lot of things with programming and, and everything that goes into CrossFit. What, what is something that pops in your head that, that he taught you? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good question as well. He taught, he taught myself a lot. Um, and I think what's great or some, some of the things that will, sorry, the one thing that comes to my mind is that, um, I think just the professionalism, the, 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 the depth or the detail that he wants in his notes for his training, that he just wants to know the stimulus as well. Like, what is our objective here? Mm -hmm. And then just having that laid out for him was certainly a big, uh, big learning for me because T was like, Shane, I trust you. Just do it. I'll do it. I'll give you the feedback you need. Let's go. And then for Matt, I was like, obviously I had to build his trust as well. You know, he, he didn't just walk in going, let's do this thing. He just, as, as he should, he tested me and asked like, Hey, what, what are we trying to do here? Like, what, what am I going to get out of this or what should I focus on for this? So being challenged in that way and asked those questions certainly made me then create or think deeper into the workouts that I was trying to provide them or think about the, the structure of program to support these guys. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'd certainly look at that. The, the way you challenge and ask for stimulus as it related to that uh, forced me to think deeper into the workouts, which, which is massive, right? Yeah. Like that. That's the crux of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to provide a program or a plan for these guys to see and laying it out eight weeks, 12 weeks ahead. And then going, right, this is the area where I want to focus solely on strength. We're going to convert that over into like, uh, sorry, marry that up with an aer aerobic program at the same time. And then, you know, then we're going to sharpen, sharpen the blade as we get closer to the competition. Like having these conversations with them, made it so much clearer for everybody. But I think that was a big takeaway for me. Yeah, that's cool. And and what a tremendous career and kudos to both of you guys. Congratulations to both of you guys just for having such awesome careers. And I know you don't, you're a very humble coach yourself. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I know you don't take a huge piece of the pie, but you are a small piece of it, Shane. So just congratulations for, for the success in the sport uh, thus far. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about now where you're going. So now we're in Nashville. Now we're getting into proven and we've got a little team going and this is a kind of a different environment. You guys are going on a little bit of a different path. Uh, talk to us a bit about what does 2021 look like? Yeah, 2021, certainly a lot more, 
a lot more moving parts. Uh, we find ourselves in Nashville right now um, and loving it, loving it, loving it here in Nashville. We're at training out of CrossFit East Nashville. And um, we have uh, a bigger roster. We have, uh, we have Brooke Wells. We have Will Morad. We have Street Horner. have Alex Smith. We have Tia. And we obviously have James Newbury back in Australia. Um, but what we're trying to do here is certainly simulate what we had in uh, Cookville with the likes of Tia and Matt. So we're just trying to bring the small group together and make sure that we create a training environment, obviously, for the CrossFit Games. And I say that because I don't want to create a competing environment every day. I think it's certainly important that we have some form of competition within the workouts, but we've got to remove that and identify that, hey, we're all at different levels. We will have different strength and weaknesses. Our goal is it's to create a training environment, focus on what you need to do, and then there will be a time for competing, but it's not every day. So I think trying to trying to recreate what we had in Cookville and then bring that here in Nashville. And, and it's working It's working really well. Um, the goal is still the same. As long as the CrossFit Games are after the fittest on earth, we're going to provide the fittest program we can for the guys as well. Cool. And this is really what I want to get into, Shane. I just recently read a book called What Drives Winning Environments. Have you seen this book before? I've seen the cover, but I certainly haven't read it. Okay. It, so it's, a, it's yeah. a quick read. You should check it out. But a, a lot yeah. of my questions kind of stem from this because I'm super curious about what makes a really healthy and positive training environment. And I know from my experience, just training in, in, in competing in CrossFit that I always do my best when I'm surrounded by people who are on, honestly better than me. And my I do better yeah. in the open when people are better than me around me. But I also think there's a fine line between, like you said, make sure you're not beating each other up every day, having that healthy balance. But I really want to get into, Shane, what to you, what is a really, uh, what is a, what is a winning environment look like for CrossFit athletes? And what does See, this it look is, like? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a phenomenal question. And, and you know what, I've, I'm sure my answer today could be different in 12 mm -hmm. months. And I hope it is because that means I'm learning and I'm still progressing, right? But essentially what I'm trying to do and I think what we're doing a great job of is, is creating this environment where training. And I think training is the crux of it, right? So we're trying to, we're trying to get these guys to work together, which they're naturally doing. But I think it stems from, from the coaches more so. Like the, the example that we lead as well, for me, for me trying to create an environment where I have the athletes, my, the, the athletes first, and I'm trying to create something for them to believe and trust me with what I'm trying to do. Mm. I think it's it's one of the most important things is trust and communication. For me, it's communication. I, I really think communication is the pillar or, or the separating factor of what I've been doing and then what others did, may not be doing. And what I mean by that is just, just being truthful for them and identifying, hey, like we need to work on this area and possibly creating a uh, that conversation of what needs to be done and changes as well. Um, communication for me has been massive. Trusting, creating trust. And what I mean by trust is having those hard conversations as well. Going, hey, like this wasn't met. Like this expectation wasn't met. We need to change that. And addressing it right away rather than letting it stew. Um, in the likes of the winning, winning atmosphere, we're still working on that. But what we found a lot of success was with Tier and Matt is their professionalism. I think that's a big element which can be overlooked is professionalism, treating it like a profession. I think that's, that's big as well. Sometimes can, you, can you unpack that really quick? Cause you said that twice. So what, what, what does that really look like day to day? Yeah. So, so for me, I spent four, possibly six hours at the moment with the athletes. Mm -hmm. There's still 20 hours, 18 hours left in the day. For me, like the decisions they make outside of the gym, it's just as important as the decisions they make inside the gym. So the, the recovery protocols they do, the decisions they make at night, like, am I going to go out and, I don't know, go out on a Friday night and come, come into training tired and then create a, a negative impact in the environment of training? I, I guess my question to them at the start of the season would be, what is your objective? Is your objective, is your objective a line up with what you're trying to say? So I guess just to be transparent and I said what, what would you rather do would you rather win the CrossFit Games once or would you rather be there multiple years and just be a fringe athlete and happy with those with that partnership and 
And for me, the answer for me, what I want to hear is that they want to win at once. They will, they'll do anything or they'll die for it. But my objective is to get them there multiple years. That's my job. But I want to know that they're going to do it once. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill themselves just to get there. That means, that means they give me the same commitment as I'm going to give them. That I'm going to give them everything to get them there consecutively. But I want to know that they'll do it once so that I know they'll go to that deep, dark end place. And that's, that's been highlighted with Tier, and that's been highlighted certainly with Matt. To go to those depths, I'll get them there multiple years. But I just need to know that they'll kill themselves essentially to get there once if they're looking for a long-term plan of just being a fringe athlete and happy to do that that's great i just don't think i'm the right fit because the commitment that i'm going to provide i just want to know that it's matched to some degree as well i don't don't know that's how i see it it may come across blunt but it's a dedication this is a this to be successful in a sport requires so much learning and development and it's so broad, right? I need to know that we're putting energy in the right areas. Thank you all for the continued support. We'll see you at the top of the year 2022 with a new episode. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you.